0: Welcome back to another episode of the CSKA podcast. My name is Jared O'Leary. Each week of this podcast is either an interview with a guest or multiple guests, or a solo episode where I unpack some scholarship in relation to computer science education. In this week's episode, I'm unpacking a paper titled Scaling Professional Learning for Equitable and Inclusive Computer Science Teaching, which was written by Nicole D. Martin, Edgar Garza, Andrea Wilson-Vasquez, and Carol L. Fletcher. Apologies if I mispronounced any names. Here's the abstract for this paper. Quote, Classroom environments that build a sense of belonging and identity in computer science, CS, for all students, especially for those who have been historically excluded, are critical for equitable CS education. Providing professional learning that supports more inclusive and culturally sustaining CS classrooms at the scale needed to ensure that all students have positive experiences in CS is a significant challenge. This experience report discusses how the Scaling Inclusive Pedagogy, Skip, project has approached this problem. Skip aims to provide teachers with equity-focused professional learning experiences and research-based tools so they are equipped to embrace diversity and focus on equity in their schools and classrooms. We discuss key takeaways from teacher, facilitator, and organizational perspectives about developing a professional learning experience that balances the need for building community and safe spaces to converse about sensitive topics with the complexities of creating a large-scale effort that can reach thousands of teachers. This report highlights lessons learned about designing professional learning that is substantive enough to enact change but realistic for the demands on teachers' time, nuanced and relevant to local context while also nationally scalable, and specific to and actionable for K-12 CS teachers. We reflect on persistent challenges and recommendations for taking an approach to CS teacher professional learning that is systemic enough to change what is happening in classrooms across the country. End quote. Right. to summarize this, paper into a single sentence, I would say that this experience report shares lessons learned from three iterations of scaling professional development around equitable and inclusive CS education. Now, you can find a link to this paper in the show notes, which is at jaredolary.com, or by clicking the link in the app that you're listening to this on. On my website, you'll find hundreds, if not thousands, of free computer science education resources, as well as, I think, over 800 hours of drumming content, and a bunch of gaming content, because... I like a lot of things. You'll also find a link to Boot Up Professional Development, which is the nonprofit that I work for, who also powers this podcast. So check out the free curriculum I create there. And if you want to learn more about the professional development for elementary CS educators, just go to bootuppd.org. So in the introduction, the authors mentioned that there's often CS professional development targeted towards like a specific course, like AP CS Principles. But we need to focus on professional development for more than just one specific course at the high school level. But there are some challenges that come with providing professional development at scale. As somebody who has collaboratively developed professional development at scale, I agree. And so the office mentioned in their intro that there are massive open online courses, also known as MOOCs, that have been used to like deliver content at scale. But they often have like a single digit percentage of completion rate. So millions of people participate, but very small number of them actually go through the content. And it doesn't really do a great job of building communities, which was important for the authors. So this paper will kind of talk about their different iterations of a course that they developed at scale to provide professional development learning experiences that focused on equity and inclusion in CS education. So the next section is on evolution of course design and implementation. So it's broken down into three different Sections, one for each of the iterations. So in iteration one, they talk about how in 2016, they developed an online course that was completed in 2017. And so this course focused mainly on gender inequalities in CS education, largely in part to the backgrounds and expertise of the development team of the course. It was fully asynchronous, so it was self paced and did not have an instructor. So it allowed a broad range of teachers to participate. Now, the authors in this section cite that MOOCs have a completion rate that is less than 5%, so it was nice that their completion rate was 34%, significantly better, but for the authors this was not good enough, which is great. I'm glad that they were trying to go beyond more than just like a 6% completion rate. So they went back to the drawing board with their course and tried to redesign it based on some lessons that they learned in this process. So in 2022, in iteration two, they received some additional funding from NSF. And so they changed it from a fully asynchronous course to a hybrid model, which had both synchronous and asynchronous components. So in the synchronous sections, the educators who took the course were able to come together and engage in a discussion with each other with a course facilitator instructor. The course took around six weeks to complete with asynchronous coursework in between each of the weekly hour-long discussions that were led by a facilitator who was a peer educator. They also revised the course to make it so that it focused on more than just gender disparities in CS and CS education, to also focus on race, ethnicity, intersectionality, etc., to try and make CS classrooms more equitable and inclusive for a variety of minoritized or oppressed or marginalized groups. Now, in this section, they talk about how the facilitators of those courses indicated that the training that was provided for them focused too much on the technical side of things like where to find stuff in the course and not enough on how to facilitate discussions around difficult topics and they also indicated that they wanted to kind of go through the course almost like as a student to learn how it might be facilitated before they actually started facilitating now here's a quote from page 76 quote while we Experimented with creating a facilitator community of practice partway through the second iteration in response to feedback, we realized that establishing this community needs to be an intentional focus. Moving forward, we will ensure that future facilitator trainings model how teacher participants will learn in the course and prepare facilitators to lead challenging discussions. Establishing a community of practice with facilitators to discuss challenging and sensitive topics with their colleagues will will support the development of content expertise and self-efficacy to lead a group of teachers through difficult conversations, end quote. From page 76, another interesting challenge with the facilitators is they realized that there was quite the inconsistency when it came to grading assignments. So they were reflecting in this paper that they need to find some kind of a system to improve the consistency of the grades, or rather how things were graded. Now, in terms of teacher feedback, they noted that the teachers struggled with the course workload, which caused them to kind of reconsider how many resources they were providing in their asynchronous work and what they could do to make the most out of the synchronous discussions or time. And then they kind of got mixed feedback on the synchronous time in terms of who was facilitating might have an impact on how teachers perceive that time because. Each person might facilitate in a different way or in a way that might be perceived as more or less beneficial for some educators and not others. So the authors reflect on how this caused them to think about how they need to better prepare facilitators to be more effective with the synchronous time. And then they also reflect in this section about how having... A more diverse team helped them with creating more diverse projects and pointing towards resources that were beyond the expertise of the initial development team. So those were the reflections for iteration two. Now in iteration three, in the next section, they discuss how they received some more funding In 2021, and so quote the goals of iteration three included centering identity through the lens of race, ethnicity, gender, disability, and socioeconomic status in all course content, updating and systematizing all course content, establishing ongoing support for implementation, and redesigning the facilitator training experience to include modeling of the synchronous session for potential facilitators. End quote. This from page 77. So the paragraphs that follow this kind of unpack each of those. They talk about how they are intentionally expanding to focus on other areas of equity and inclusion and to embed that throughout the entire course. They also mentioned that they are intentionally trying to reduce the number of assignments that are in between each of the synchronous sections. But I kind of wonder out loud that the second iteration of this happened during COVID in 2020. And having actually participated in the course in 2020, I didn't feel like for me, it was too much work or effort in between the synchronous sessions. But I know that many teachers were completely overwhelmed and overworked in 2020, and I wasn't working in the classroom at that time. So I wonder if teachers would still consider it to be too much work or if it was simply because There was a lot going on in 2020 that might not be going on five years from now or even this year. But that's just me kind of thinking out loud. But also thinking out loud, I have seen some teachers kind of have a tendency to be resistant to having to put in the effort that is required to learn something. And I would argue that in order to facilitate more equitable and inclusive environments, you're going to have to learn a lot about many different things. And six weeks is not enough time to learn that, even if you cram it full of content. But one of the approaches that might be used that I've used in some grad courses that I previously facilitated is I'd provide a single reading that was a required reading, and then provide a list of here are some optional readings if any of these sound interesting to you. So it takes into account the busyness that teachers have, allows people to focus on one particular area, but then also gives them many more resources to dive deeper into if they want to learn more about a particular topic. And then another approach that I've even used is like, hey, here's seven different articles, pick one of them. We'll engage in a discussion. They're all related to the same theme or topic, but pick the one that's most interesting to you and what you are doing in the classroom or wherever. So those are some approaches that I've used to try and explore a breadth of materials in a limited amount of time while providing the opportunities for depth. Now, in iteration three, the authors mentioned that they are focusing on content specifically for K-8 educators rather than just content geared towards high school, which I appreciate mainly taught in the elementary and K-8 spaces. And then they also mentioned that they have a new feature that is coming out that allows teachers to actually practice having uncomfortable or challenging conversations in a safe space. So it's using MIT's Teaching Systems Lab Teacher Moments platform, which basically simulates conversations and allows you to kind of practice facilitating or responding to challenging topics, which reading through it, it sounded really interesting. So I recommend checking out that section in particular. And then the final section that they mention in here is how they are revising the facilitator training to be a seven-week course that kind of will model what it's like to go through the course as a teacher and to provide more in-depth training and support. All right so in section three of the paper it's the key takeaways. So this is broken down into three different sections. So the first one is on course design and so in this section one of the key takeaways is that the hybrid approach with both synchronous and asynchronous seems to be the best approach for what they were trying to do. In the second section on facilitator training because this was a self-selected group who cared about these issues. They would focus more on the logistics and structure, but then they realized, oh, we need to actually provide more support, modeling how to engage in these kind of discussions. And then in section three, they talk about the design team composition. So they mention how the original group had a wealth of expertise and understanding related to gender disparities, and then how they expanded the team to have more expertise outside of that. And then the paper ends with some conclusions and next steps. Now, I have to say as somebody who has designed professional development at scale, curriculum at scale. I really appreciated reading their experiences and being vulnerable with the things that they felt did not go well and that they learned from and how they iterated on that very interesting for me to read that. But at the end of these unpacking scholarship episodes, I'd like to share some lingering questions and thoughts. So one of them is, what is lost when developing PD at scale? But a follow-up is, what is gained when developing PD at scale? And then how might PD providers balance designing at scale while keeping PD local? So for example, when I was the CS mentor in a K-8 school district, the PD that I provided was extremely local. It was Hey, what do you want to learn today? What should we work on for next time? Every single week was engaging in some kind of a PD experience that was customized to the several teachers who were in the room. So if one teacher wanted to focus on one thing, awesome, we can do that. Another teacher wanted to focus on another thing, cool, we can do that next time. But when designing PD at scale, you kind of lose that ability when you're suddenly working with hundreds or thousands of teachers. Instead, you start to create professional development for the mean. Either approach has different affordances and constraints. You can't really scale the thing that I mentioned that I was doing in my former district, but then when you do scale some things, it makes some of the content less relevant, less hyper-local. So it's important to think of, when doing things at scale, what is lost, what is gained with that approach. And just make sure that what is gained far outweighs what is lost. And if not, then perhaps we shouldn't do professional development at scale. But the final question that I have when I was reading through this is, if you were to write an experience report about your own journey through CS education, what would you share? So this was an experience report about developing professional development course at scale. You might provide an experience report on catalysts for changes in your own pedagogical approaches over the years. What might you learn from that kind of experience? Having gone through similar reflective practices, sharing lessons learned in different projects or stages in life, I think it's very important for us to do that. So if you haven't sat down and reflected on your own experiences and what you might report on, Might be interesting to do that. I know this is a short episode, but it's a short paper. I do highly recommend taking a look at it. It's refreshing reading these kinds of reflections, at least for somebody like myself, who's definitely a nerd. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, there are hundreds more. But stay tuned next week for another episode. And until then, I hope you're all staying safe and are having a wonderful week.